Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. All right. Wow. How exciting it is to be live with one of my heroes, truly a hero. Judy Mancuso is the founder of Social Compassion in Legislation. Judy Mancuso and her organization, Social Compassion in Legislation, have done extraordinary work to improve the health of children, to end cruelty in cosmetics, to provide options for individuals who want to combat climate change, and to really speak for animals, people, and the planet across California, and that means across the world. Judy, tell us about your latest initiative, a bill that is making its way through the California legislature to provide healthy plant-based, nutritious, cholesterol-free meals to California school kids. Thank you, Jane, and thank you for such a lovely intro. I appreciate it so much. Um, We have a bill. It's called Assembly Bill 558, and the author is Adreen Nazarian from uh, the Los Angeles area in the Valley. And um, we started the bill last year And because of COVID, you know, nothing at the legislature has been the same. A lot of bills got dropped. And so we're very fortunate uh, that this one was turned into a two-year bill that we could pick it back up this year. But what it does is it incentivizes schools to provide plant-based lunches, food, and beverages for children. So by an incentive, I mean, it pays them, uh, I believe it's 30 cents more. Uh, it varies based on the food or a beverage. And, um, and that way, there's not a downside uh, to them making these special lunches. Right now, if a child wanted a soy milk or almond milk versus cow's milk, they would have to have a doctor's order. So... Uh, the fact that this will be offered to all children without having to go to the extreme of, you know, proving you need it for medical reasons, <laughs> just absurd. Well, it's particularly absurd when a good percentage of people, children and adults are lactose intolerant and it actually makes them sick. Um, so the idea that Uh, kids who are lactose intolerant, and that's very, very common, have to get a doctor's note in order to have something removed that is actually making them sick is a little upside down. Have you been able to make that case to members of the legislature? Absolutely. We've had a nutritionist speak at every hearing, and you're talking to someone lactose intolerant, Uh, Back in the late 80s, I used to have stomach aches all day long. After I had lunch, usually I was vegetarian at the time. 
And um, I just, I didn't understand it. And I went to doctor after doctor and they kind of wrote it off to stress. I had tests done. And then I learned how the dairy cows were kept and about the connection with veal. And I decided to give up dairy for ethical reasons. And lo and behold, those stomach aches I'd been living with my whole life went away. Never did one doctor ever say, hey, maybe you're lactose intolerant. Let's just give up dairy for a while. So I stumbled upon it myself, uh, you know, a long way around. But now it's common. People know uh, there's a huge portion of the population that is lactose intolerant. So absolutely, it has to be there has to be alternatives and, and that's what this is. It's an alternative. We're not mandating the program and we're not um, uh, taking away anything. It's adding to and incentivizing. So what is the reception that you're getting in the California legislature? California, my understanding, is the largest dairy state in the nation. People think of Wisconsin, but actually California has something like 2 million cows. Um, So there's very strong agricultural interests that have a lot of sway. However, the health of our school kids is paramount. And we know that these kids are not ultimately healthy and optimally healthy. Uh, We have uh, a lot of problems with school kids. There's a high level of obesity. There's a high level of type two diabetes. There are kids who are living on junk food. And we all know that uh, great cliche about uh, the time that uh, ketchup was deemed to be a vegetable and therefore, oh, the kids are getting their vegetables because they're getting ketchup and that created an uproar and outrage. But wouldn't all members of the legislature find that parents would be their ultimate, ultimate judge. Yes, we got a 5-0 vote in our first committee, although it's both ways that you just described. It's, yes, it's obvious, uh, you know, back years ago, people maybe didn't know a vegan or a vegetarian, or maybe they didn't Uh, ever taste alternative uh, milk. But today, not only does everyone know a vegetarian or a vegan, they have them in their family. You know, a lot of these legislators say, oh, my daughter's vegetarian. Oh, my, you know, niece is vegan. My wife is vegan. So it it is uh, more prevalent in the population, which uh, normalizes it, obviously. And uh, and since the plant based industry has exploded with its, you know, uh, choices of milk, uh, people just prefer it uh, over uh, the fatty uh, regular cow milk. So, yes, the legislators do get it. They did vote for it. However, there are still some that will take the special interest side that, you know, mm, you know, let's not let anybody else get in the territory here and uh, put the uh, camel's nose under the tent. You know, let's try to block it. 
So we didn't get any no votes, but we did have a couple members, uh, what's called layoff or, uh, you know, did not vote at all and just laid off the bill. What about the climate implications? Recently at COP26, the Global Climate Summit in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, they put carbon price tags on all of their menu items. And the Washington Post wrote an article about, well, since the meat and dairy items are so much higher, have such a larger carbon footprint than the vegan items, why did you serve them at a climate conference? Now, obviously, California is the leader in combating uh, climate change in the United States. We're a very progressive state. We've made um, it a mission and we're sort of known for it. So considering that meat and dairy have such a higher carbon footprint than plant-based foods and also have cholesterol, et cetera, is that an argument you can make to the legislature? It is. So there's two There's kind of two sides to this bill. There's the uh, nutrition. It's better for the children if they choose it. Again, it's an alternative and voluntary. A lot of kids already live this way. So it's giving them what they eat at home that they can eat at school. So there is the nutrition, health, having the choice side of the bill. The second side is the environmental impact. Uh, Yes, those products uh, that you listed and that was on the menu and that are served in skill uh, at the the schools have such a higher carbon footprint. And we actually have a chart of the various uh, food and how much GHG uh, they consume. And I mean, you know, it's 19 times, 35, 34 times more. It's just astronomical. So there's five, if you can believe this, I just learned this number myself. It's so big. There's 500,000 school lunches served a year in California. 500, a half a billion lunches. So the impact that we can have taking just some percentage of those 500,000 lunches and turning plant-based from animal-derived can make an enormous impact environmentally. And you've gotten endorsements from youth leaders, notably Genesis Butler, considered one of the youngest, if not the youngest, TEDx talker, uh, who was a climate activist and an absolutely dynamic young lady. Uh, She has endorsed it saying, hey, I want these options in school. Tell me about that. Actually, Genesis joined our board. So she advises us on my social compassion and legislation And uh, absolutely, she has shared with us how hard it is, if not impossible, to find something to eat at school. And, um, you know, it's been a very long time since we've all been in school, but it doesn't sound like anything's changed. It's still the processed, you know, meat and cheese and 
you know, just white bread yuck that they served us when we were kids is still going on today. So, yeah, she helps us. She guides us. And uh, and she is a powerhouse. Genesis. What would you like people to do to help you? People who are out there saying, I care about having healthy meals served to kids. I don't want to see them getting type 2 diabetes and obesity and all sorts of other problems, high cholesterol at a young age, preventable illnesses with dietary changes. I want to see kids eating greens and veggies and fruits and nuts and legumes and having the energy from that. What would you say to people who want to help? How do they help? Well, the the biggest way to help right now is to come to our website, which is socialcompassioninlegislation.org, and you fill out a support letter, and we have it on our website. It's easy to get to, and um, and then what happens is we collect all those support letters and we do not sell your data. We don't share it. We don't give it to anybody but the legislature. And um, we send these letters to the committee that where the next hearing is. And the committee then gets these letters. And what's so impressive about the letters is that it shows the diversity of support. I mean, we get support from every nook and cranny in the state, out of state, out of country, you know, because when California passes a bill so many times with so many of our other bills, they are uh, copied in other states, in other countries. So um, people are watching us from all over the planet and they can participate in sending these support letters and, and then it goes on record and uh, the committee can see a thousand letters came in from this, you know, 5,000 letters. And then it's really important to get organizations uh, to support food companies, businesses, um, everybody. We need everyone's support. Wow. Uh, we've got a caller, Tom from Chicago. Your question or thought for Judy Mancuso of Social Compassion and Legislation. Hi, Jane. Thank you so much for taking my call this week. Hi, Judy. Uh, thank you. Uh, my question was, first off, does dairy actually have, do, do human beings have any health benefits from consuming dairy? I honestly can't think of any. Yet they're subsidized by the government, and these schools are, these, they're given rewarded contracts to push milk on school kids. I, I can't for life me understand this, uh, why this is being done like this. If you could please answer for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a thank great you, day. Tom. Bye. There's a good uh, documentary that I saw. It's called Fed Up. And it's about this exact topic that it was the 70s uh, where the industry uh, more or less provided, came in and, you know, did this kind of takeover of the school lunches. And it shows that at one time, they were like home-cooked meals that used real vegetables instead of from a can. And I believe it was either the Nixon or Reagan. I think it was, I can't remember. I'd have to go back, but it tells a great story in this documentary and one that I did not know all the way back. And, and, and there was a phase where they just took out all the kitchens 
and replaced it all with processed foods and fast food. And so the meat and dairy industry, along with, you know, government, their friends in government kind of did a takeover. So, I mean, the only answer is this kind of cozy relationship between industry and government. And, and, And no, there isn't any need, obviously. I haven't had any dairy in my diet uh, since 1993, uh, let me think about this, 1990, 1993, I haven't had dairy um, and I have never been deficient in any of the vitamins, minerals, whatever. I get my blood uh, drawn on an annual basis um, and do all the health checks I even asked my doctor to check for these things that, um, you know, vegans are known to be deficient in. I always ask her, check my B12, you know, check my B, check this, check that. And um, I keep coming up normal. So, no, I mean, uh, after 26, 27 years of vegan, you would think it would be reflected on me by now if there was some deficiency. Well, yes. Uh, I think studies have shown, the China study, for example, that a plant-based diet is um, the optimal health diet. And uh, you raise a very important point when you say, hey, this isn't just about California, because what happens in California spreads to the rest of the country. And what happens in the country spreads to the rest of the world. So we use an example like the dining with dogs bill. Uh, We social compassionate legislation uh, passed a bill here in California that said, hey, if the restaurants want, the dogs can go into the outdoor cafes area, the the patio area. Prior to that, you you would get fined. A restaurant would get fined and Mm -hmm. uh, it spread then. It got passed in New York state and other states are considering it as well. So this is really beyond just something happening in California. This is what you are proposing could literally uh, help the plant-based sphere hit the tipping point. I agree. I mean, we passed a bill um, that banned products sold in California that have been tested on animals for cosmetics and personal hygiene products. It has now been copied in nine states um, and moved China to change some of their policies and, and, and others internationally. So the fact that California has 40 million people is the fifth largest economy that our impact here is just not about us. It's just not, you know, we set the stage. And that's why I have dedicated my life for the past 15 years. Uh, My group has done 54 uh, bills. And that's as of the end of last year. We'll be adding more to that this year. But 54 sponsored bills, meaning we brought the ideas to the legislator asking, will you carry this bill? And they say yes. 
And then we shepherded through the legislative process with them. We support them, witnesses, the letters, lobbying, everything that goes into it. Um, we give them that support. And we have 19 of the 54 that have been signed into law. Now, I wish it was a lot more than that. But when I tell people that that are in the legislature are with other industries, nonprofit or not, they're like, wow, 19 out of 50. That is amazing. You know, so it's never enough for me. Yes, it's great. And we've made a huge difference. But when you look at those 19 and then they get copied, then all of a sudden you're saving animals and changing uh, the planet on an exponentially. So that's that's the real benefit. Let's talk about some other things that social compassion and legislation does. We are talking with Judy Mancuso, the founder and president of Social Compassion in Legislation, an incredible organization that has passed, as you just heard, almost 20 bills into law in the California legislature, bills that have been copied around the United States that are having a huge impact on the culture. So, Judy, recently you had a news conference with Jane Fonda about an oil spill tragedy. Tell us about it and what role social compassion and legislation played in that. Well, you know, it was so sad to see on the TV, you know, to wake up and I got an alert that there was an oil spill and uh, turned on the TV right away. Our beautiful coast. I live in Laguna Beach and our water is just as clear as could be pristine coastline. And all kinds of species of marine life and birds. It is just, we're, we have just an amazing amount of fauna, flora, marine life, unbelievable. And to think of oil pouring into this pristine area and the birds getting in it, the fish dying. I mean, it is just so tragic, so tragic. And nobody knew who, whose fault it was, how did it happen, but all we knew is that there was a spill and it was growing. So I had um, been in touch with uh, Ms. Fonda on some other environmental work that was being done at the state. And I sent her an email asking if she would help us to raise visibility about this oil spill, about moving legislation. There's a senator and a friend, Dave Min, that is in the district here that uh, said he would propose legislation to shut down these uh, oil platforms. They're very old um, and, you know, way past their expiration date. And uh, it, it's not like, you know, if a spill will happen, it's more when it will happen. And it turns out there's, you know, billions, I think the number is something like 54 billion or 44 billion of what the coastline brings in from people going to the beach and visiting restaurants. It's a huge economy. So not only is it the tragedy 
for the animals and, you know, the marine life, the birds, but the economic tragedy as well, right? Uh, with their jobs and shops closed down, towns closed down. So um, I reached out to her and she was shooting her Grace and Frankie. And um, she said, oh, you know, she's in production every day, but she would like to do it and support Senator Men's bill. And um, she gave me a couple dates. Uh, one was one week away. And I thought, hey, if, you know, she'll come and help us and we can turn up the volume on this issue, I, I've got to take it. So with my local uh, city council, Mayor Whalen, we pulled it together. We had a great press conference. It got coverage all around the world and from, you know, coast to coast. And we're going to be moving that bill. Matter of fact, I just got a copy uh, from Senator Min's office and we're having a conference call on it this week, but it looks great. Um, so that's another thing that I would urge anyone watching, listening, is to keep coming back to our site because as soon as this is all fleshed out, we'll have it up on the site. We'll need those support letters. Also, if people would sign up for our newsletter on the website, because when it's time to make phone calls and we need those, we need people calling these members on the committees, urging their votes. I send out an alert and uh, those phone calls, support letters, donations. If you can hit that donate button and give whatever you can, people give five dollars. <laughs> 20, 45. I have people on our list that give $10 a month and it all matters, everything. And we can't do it alone. We need everyone's support. Now, speaking of celebrities, Diane Keaton is also a board member on social compassion and legislation. Tell us about her involvement. Diane is, she's just an amazing woman. Um, you know, I met her through... Uh, another board member at the time, uh, and Diane was interested in helping animals. She is a big animal lover. She's just got a heart of gold and uh, asked her to come on the board. And, you know, she said that she didn't have much time with her busy schedule, but she would give whatever she could. And, and she really has. She's come through for us in a big way. So I'm just I'm honored to have her and Maggie Q, uh, who is a rising star and, you know, has done so much on her own uh, to help animals and the rainforest to, uh, you know, animal poaching. She's been to the rainforest in several countries and speaking for all these species that are getting decimated uh, by uh, deforestation. So Ma Maggie is unbelievable as well. We are going to take a short break on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay live on Facebook. We are going to be back with Judy Mancuso of Social Compassion and Legislation in just a second. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. 
Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We are talking with Judy Mancuso of Social Compassion and Legislation, an extraordinary organization based in California that has passed 19 bills through the California legislature, including the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act, including the Dining with Dogs Act, and so many others. They have been replicated in states throughout the United States. And as you know, what happens in California spreads to the rest of the world. So this is a powerhouse organization. You have the likes of Diane Keaton and Maggie Q on the board, as well as the extraordinary Genesis Butler, Marvel hero kid. So, Judy, we've got a caller. Kim from California on hold. Your question or thought, Kim? Hey, thanks. Um, I just tuned in, so I might have missed this conversation, but that all sounds wonderful, what you just mentioned. And I'm just wondering um, about the people, because someone dear to me had been vegan, and then they recently switched over to this, you know, the sacred cow movie and sustainable farming, and and it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, um, (laughs) harmful, and it's better for the environment, all this stuff. And it's really just frustrating. I mean, I don't know what to say to them regarding, you know, uh, it's, well, I have said, like, of course, you know, you you can't murder someone um, without them um, being harmed. But uh, I don't know. What, how does that fit into what you're talking about? 
Well, that's an excellent question because this regenerative agriculture movement has been very much embraced by the meat and dairy industry to try to make an argument that it's sustainable when the science shows it's not sustainable. And in fact, there is a um, social media influencer by the name of Earthling Ed who does an incredible takedown, a detailed uh, takedown with facts about why uh, the so-called um, regenerative cattle grazing um, actually uh, does not even come close to eliminating the carbon footprint of the cattle themselves. And so uh, in a nutshell, it's trying to do the wrong thing uh, a little bit better. And uh, we're in too much of a climate crisis, in my opinion, to uh, try these half measures. Uh, the truth is that the Amazon right now is being destroyed to create cattle grazing land. Uh, that's not me talking. That's all over the mainstream media. But what is your thought on that, uh, Judy? Because I know that uh, you you deal with this issue in the legislature where you've got to navigate all of these different forces, each of whom has their own agenda. I mean, it just happened to us with the uh, plant-based lunch bill. Uh, one of the members said, you know, well, I'm not sure that, you know, it, it, it really is lower for carbon footprint. I think, you know, that there's data out there. It's like, no, there's not data out there. If there's data out there, it supports it. It doesn't go against it. I mean, it's simple math. So, Here's my take. The industry, big agriculture that represents all this, you know, they see they're in trouble with the amount of carbon they put out, the destruction they cause, groundwater, air, all of it. So they know, right? Because you see the numbers shifting, people buying more of those soy milks and the whole thing. So they're trying to find these answers so that they can kind of say nothing to see here. Oh, look, oh, we heard, you know, and we're doing something about it. So we're able to do it like this and everything's good. Well, you know, at the end of the day, that's not it. But here's here's the difference here that we got to work on. There are people who will always want to eat meat, period, end of story. And the answer lies with that alternative, the cell meat industry coming of age. Uh, it's not that, uh, let's say, if somebody wants to eat meat, do they have the right to eat meat? Of course they do. But when the planet can't sustain it anymore, because of global warming, because of water, because of everything that has to do with that's well documented all over the place and documentaries are being made every day, United Nations reporting, COP26, everybody, EPA, everybody and their brother, we, they, we have to move. We have to do something else. And a lot of these something else's aren't completely uh, you know, ready to market. So they know the meat and dairy industry know that they can keep going because those those things aren't ready. 
And so they try to make people feel better about what they're doing. Oh, look, you know, if we feed the cow algae, they don't, uh, you know, fart GHG emissions as much. I mean, you know, all this kind of, um, what is it called? Whitewashing or greenwashing? greenwashing. Yeah, greenwashing. greenwashing. Yeah, so they do all this greenwashing stuff. But at the end of the day, we know what has to happen. We have to eliminate that stuff from the planet. I mean, is it cruel? Absolutely. You know, but the fact that everybody has been existing on it for, you know, centuries here or whatever, however long it's been, uh, we have to have uh, a path. And so some of it's there with eating plant-based products that are there and whatnot, but there needs to be more. And I think that this whole cell-based meat is really going to make it completely that we can get away from it because people will still have that flavor, that taste, that animal that they're used to eating without the whole animal. Does that make sense, Jane? Yes, yes. So speaking of the environmental impact of our consumption, let's talk a little bit about some of your other breakthrough legislation the Deforestation-Free Procurement Act. Now, that is a mouthful, but at the end of the day, that, again, could mean the difference between us avoiding a climate apocalypse and us not avoiding a climate apocalypse. People have to remember, California, if it were its own country, is the fifth largest economy in the world. So let me give you... Let me first explain what that means, the Deforestation Free Procurement Act, and then give you an example, because then it is easy to understand. Deforestation Free Procurement Act, the state of California buys things, right, for its agencies, universities, hospitals, the government itself. And they buy a lot, billions and billions, tens of billions, hundreds. And so they could be buying rubber that is directly from deforestation, burning down a rainforest, uh, wood, coffee, palm oil, these uh, high-risk commodities that are uh, being taken from the rainforest. Uh, So, and there's plenty uh, of documentaries to watch on that and on regular news. It is just uh, the saddest thing in the world, the way they go into these towns, the indigenous people and just plow everything over, burn it, take it down and do what they will with it. And that California could be contributing to that, right? You know, the lungs of our earth, taking away the lungs of our earth. So with their buying power, they can say, well, I don't want the wood that comes from the deforestation. I want to buy the wood that comes from a sustainable uh, place, right? That isn't taken away from the lungs of the earth. Palm oil, you know, I mean, we could do without palm oil completely. There's so many other oils out there. So either you do a different oil or you make sure it doesn't come from the rainforest. So then people said, well, how do you know California is buying from uh, goods from the rainforest? 
uh, there's a group, you've heard of them, many people have Friends of the Earth that are the co-sponsor and what that means, they're our partner on this bill, right? So Friends of the Earth actually got the data from the Department of General Services for the last few years and put it in a database and then identified these high-risk commodities that we buy. And then they looked at the parts of the, of the Amazon uh, where the deforestation is caused and looked at the vendor where we got the goods and it traces right to deforestation uh, to land that has been deforested. One in particular was Goodyear Tires. Uh, Goodyear actually has a rubber plant uh, that on a map shows has been deforested. So, and then rubber trees planted, and that's where they're getting the rubber from. So if California, who one of the biggest things uh, that they buy is tires for all their transportation, I mean, think about the, you know, CHP. So you got police, you got trucks, you got, I mean, it's ridiculous how many tires, right? And if we could say, Goodyear, we're not buying from you. You just tore down all that rainforest. We're going to go to these folks that, you know, are doing it right. And we're going to give the contract to them. All of a sudden, you shift that supply and demand right, away from that deforestation and to, and to the good actors, let's call them, we can then start moving away and save these lungs of our planet. Does that make it any clearer, I hope? Oh, absolutely. And by the way, just hearing this particular anecdote for the first time, obviously, I couldn't independently verify that. And uh, we invite uh, Goodyear on any time to respond to that. Uh, now, let me say, you'd think this would be, in general, unnatural for California. Governor Newsom has said that he wants nature-based solutions and has made the environment and combating climate change a top priority. So why, where is Governor Newsom on this? He vetoed it last year. And what his Department of General Services uh, asked him to veto it because they felt that they couldn't implement it uh, for small businesses, right? That small businesses would have no visibility and they didn't totally understand the bill. I mean, really, they kept using a soybean farmer in the United States. Well, if it's in the United States, you don't even have to identify it because we don't have Amazon rainforest here. So, um, you know, a lot of times when you're dealing with these state agencies who th there's just a ton of bureaucracy, they are short staffed, doing the same thing they've been doing all these years. And you throw something at them like this, that they're going to have to change their procurement process that's been around forever. They're like, oh, my gosh, we can't do that. You know, that's always kind of the first uh, the first uh, way they respond. And we're saying, yes, you can, and you have to, because it matters. And, you know, the planet is on its way to destruction here. So we need your, your help and assistance because this can make a difference. So 
uh, Governor Newsom gave a veto message that said, you know, in a nutshell, I get it. I'm with you. Let's do something that can be doable, you know, to implement. And then uh, Nick Sackett, our legislative director, just saw him recently, spoke to him about it briefly, and he reassured us he is with us and that he will and his administration work with us to make something happen. He understands how it works through the legislature is that you propose a bill, even if it gets vetoed, if the spirit is received, then you can resubmit it as I correct me if I'm wrong, it has been resubmitted or it is being resubmitted. And then you're going to work on those nuances, maybe allow some of these agencies a little more time or, or help them in some way to make these transitions. Yeah. For, for, for instance, um, instead of saying every product has to be traced, we may just select the top five because it really is all about you know, wood, rubber, palm oil, you know, there's the high ones that we know are the highest risk. So we might downsize that. We might downsize it to a a select group of agencies. Instead of being so broad and throwing it all at them at once, we'll maybe have to shrink it down to make it more doable so that they can at least get the ball rolling, get used to change the procurement programs, get used to it, and then broaden it out to all agencies. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I'll send a, No worries. Yeah. So, look, we only have a few minutes left. I want to cover some of the other bills that you're uh, spearheading. Uh, dog and cat. Bill of Rights. I want to hear about that. I also want to hear about the animal evacuation plans. Uh, I personally was driving through Malibu at times of fire and uh, uh, with a friend trying to uh, help some animals that might have been trapped. Turned out they were okay, but we were surrounded by flames and I turned my car around, I think, just in the nick of time. Uh, I know this is a very serious issue. So give us uh, the 411 on animal evacuation plans bill, as well as the dog and cat bill of rights. Okay. All right. So the, the animal evacuation plan, it's a public safety issue. It's, it's awful to leave the animals behind. A lot of people won't leave their homes have burned in their homes because they went back to save their animals. So what we're saying is if, if you have a permit, because local jurisdictions give permits to people. I have been one of those in the past to have more than, let's say, a dog and a cat. In some jurisdictions, you have you have a limit of four animals, maybe two animals. If you have a permit to have more, uh, then you should have an evacuation plan because you have to have a special permit with the city to have more animals. And when I got my permit with the city of Laguna Beach, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they said, do you have an evacuation plan? No. Okay, well, we need one, you know, just tell us what it is. Not a big deal, right? But they need to know how you get to get your animals out because we can't can't rely on our police and fire to evacuate the animals. The people who have these animals on their property 
have to think about this, have to prepare so that when that time comes, you can get them out. So what I did is I actually got a vehicle that could transport them and made sure that I had enough carriers for everybody. So, I mean, that's on a small scale uh, residential, but I know in the case in Malibu that you were talking about, people have farm animals that they weren't prepared to evacuate. They didn't have trailers and they let the horses go. I think you were trying to save. Well, I don't even need to get into that. But the point is that uh, you're saying if you've got a lot of animals here in California, which has been beset by wildfires, the bottom line is you need an evacuation plan. Common sense. And you want to put it into law so that, A, I think it would encourage people to create those evacuation plans. That's right. Yes. Voluntary compliance. Make them think about it. A lot of times you pass laws that, you know, first of all, there's already a mechanism in place with giving permits to have these animals, zoning. So there's already infrastructure. So now they can add their checkbox, their text box that says, what is that evacuation plan? What are you doing to prepare? It could be as simple as having a trailer on the property carriers, whatever that is, just think about it, be ready. And then the other one, the the dog and cat bill of rights, what this, there's been problems in the past, our cruelty, our 597.1 code, penal code says, you know, if a dog has food and water and shelter, that's good, right? Well, it's not. I mean, a lot of animals are in really bad situations, but it ties the hands of animal control uh, to do anything because they have food, water and shelter. But it may not be okay that they're living in a carrier that isn't big enough for them to even stand up in all day long or whatever the horrible circumstances. Um, And so we're adding uh, some uh, some uh, more verbiage to the 597.1. And we're also listing like, what? how do animals deserve to be treated? They are sentient beings. And that's what we say in one of these, uh, the very first in the preamble is that dogs and cats are sentient beings. They deserve mental stimulation. They deserve, you know, so much more than this bare bottom line existence that is in, uh, that's in code right now. So we're just trying to up that bar and put it to where they, how they deserve to be treated. Well, of course, some of the popularity that social compassionate legislation has is because you're known also for your work to rescue animals, spay and neuter, uh, we only have a couple of minutes. Tell us about what you did with spay and neuter in California. Well, this was a very long-term project. I started in 2008. We have what's called the Pet Lovers License Plate. And, uh, and so we, in order to get a license plate on the road, a specialty license plate in California, you have to pre-sell 7,500 pre-orders at the time that we did it. And 
So I knew that we needed a funding mechanism for spay and neuter because a lot of people just can't afford it. And the proliferation of dogs and cats in some of the rural areas and down the middle of the state is just horrific. And these animals were being put down. There was one shelter that I visited uh, in the Central Valley that 55,000 animals came into the shelter a year, 33,000 were euthanized, right? But if people could spay and neuter their pets, it would take down that number exponentially. So why don't they? Well, a lot of them can't afford it. So we needed money to get funding out to the middle of the state, out to these communities. And there wasn't anything there besides private funds. So a specialty license plate there's $40, about $40 from each plate that can go to a fund that does go to a fund, the pet lovers plate, because we got it on the road in 2013. And then hundreds of thousands this year, it's over, it's almost a half a million, 488,000 going out to spay and neuter programs all over the state for free are super low cost spay and neuter. And this is year after year. So if you don't have your license, specialty license plate yet in California, please go to dmv.ca.gov under the specialty plate. You can even get one for your motorcycle and that extra, and you can write off that portion of the uh, plate on the DMV registration every year because it is a charitable donation and will go directly to spaying and neutering pets. Well, there you go. I would love to know how many, how many, uh, and then you see right here, <laughs> this foxy lady was rescued by Judy Mancuso when she was on one of those crusades to, to uh, spay and neuter and gather information. It'd be very interesting to find how many animals' lives you have saved, how many animals you have spayed and neutered through that special license plate. I want to thank Judy Mancuso, my hero. Go to socialcompassionandlegislation.org. Get involved. Join the team. We have a lot of fun. You may find yourself on a trip to Sacramento. Yes. (laughs) Thank Thank you, Judy. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.